Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. In this podcast, you'll learn actionable strategies to deal with infertility from Dr. Michael Chapman, or Prof as he's affectionately known. Prof is the co-founder of IVF Australia and is a leading Australian infertility specialist who has helped over 3,000 couples realise their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. That first cry of a baby born after the long journey of IVF remains one of the most beautiful experiences in the world. As an obstetrician and an IVF specialist, I've had the privilege of experiencing this over many thousands of times in my long career, but I still remain moved by each baby's first cry. It signifies the end of a long journey and the beginning of a new life. This is Professor Michael Chapman, co-founder of IVF Australia and host of the IVF Journey podcast. Thanks for tuning in. To access all the previous episodes, head over to my website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. You'll also be able to find the various services that we provide at IVF Australia. Today we're going to have a talk about the second half of the cycle, of an IVF cycle. What we know is that in the majority of women who are stimulated for an IVF cycle, that the hormone levels get extremely high as the number of follicles producing hormones increases. But once the eggs are collected, there is a rapid fall in those hormones and the impact of that on the lining of the womb is substantial. A lining that has been overstimulated in the first half of the cycle and then is subjected to a drop in progesterone levels then causes cycles if an embryo goes back, it causes cycles to be deficient and pregnancy is less likely. Very early on in the history of IVF, we're now talking 30, over 30 years ago, it was realised that there was a need to support the second half of the cycle. And that was initially done using progesterone intravaginally and was a standard regime for, for over a decade. In the last five or six years, in Australia anyway, there have been a multiple products that become available for support of the luteal phase with progesterone. They all ultimately are progesterone. So the original progesterone was a pessary, that uh, a waxy pessary that you put in the vagina twice a day or three times a day, and it was horrible in terms of its discharge and women didn't really love, love it at all. That's still used, in fact, by many doctors. Then came along a product called Crinone, which is, has an applicator and is more a gel than a, than a pessary. Again, it is messy. Again, many women don't like doing it, but know they have to. 
More recently, there have been tablets come on the market. So there's one called endometrin and one called uterogestin. Both of these are far less messy and appear to do the same job, although you, you, it seems you have to use them three times a day rather than twice a day to get optimal results. The other approach to progesterone in the second half of the cycle is to stimulate the follicles or left over having had the eggs collected, stimulating them to produce more progesterone than they would normally do in that situation. And that's achieved by giving pregnancy hormone injections, pregnal it's called, and generally used regime is, is a, an injection of pregnal three days after egg collection, three days later and three days after that. It has the downside that if you've got lots of follicles, it tends to promote hyperstimulation syndrome. So it really should only be used when there's only five or six or seven eggs collected. And secondly, it can hang around in the, in the blood system for up to four or five days. So when you come to do your pregnancy test, you may have a false positive pregnancy test due to the injection rather than actually the natural hormones of a pregnancy, which is why that regime of three days, three days, three days means the last injection is given a good five or six days before the pregnancy test. In the United States, there has been a vogue for three decades of giving something called intramuscular progesterone injections. They are incredibly painful. They can cause abscess formation. And while they work no better than the vaginal application of progesterone. So in Australia, they really never taken off. And in America, I've been at meetings where I've stood up and said, why do you use injections when the other works and that there are side effects and what, you know, why, are you in, why are you inflicting this on the women of pain on a daily basis? And their answer is, that's what we've always done. And if I don't do it and they don't get pregnant, the clinic down the road that uses this is where the patient will go next. It's a crazy Americanism, although it's probably around the world. There are many things we give which are not, not any better than anything else, but because we've done it that way, uh, we think it's the best. So luteal phase support is important. One question that arises is when to start. And even in international meetings as recently as May this year, I heard a, a debate between doctors about whether it should start immediately after egg collection, two days after egg collection, or five days after egg collection from the time of the embryo transfer. People provided evidence for each of them, and the answer is there probably is no difference. So in our clinic, we started a couple of days after the egg collection because the progesterone levels are not, the fall is not taking an effect for three or four days. The HCG given for the trigger injection keeps progesterone production um, at a reasonable level. But your doctor will choose what they think is correct and probably they're all right. The important thing is that there is some around the time of implantation and in the days after implantation, which is when the lining would break down if it wasn't well supported. The other debate is how long you should continue with progesterone. So, again, around the world a decade ago, over 90% of clinics were giving progesterone all the way through until 10 or 12 weeks of pregnancy. 
despite evidence that was emerging that said it makes no difference whatsoever. Once a good pregnancy is established, it creates its own progesterone production and therefore will carry itself through without the need for supplementation. The evidence as I see it is that once you've had a positive pregnancy test, there is no need to have any further progesterone. But today, about 18 months ago perhaps, there was another survey and the use of progesterone after the probability pregnancy test had dropped to around about 60 to 70 percent of clinics. So people are learning but as I said earlier old habits die hard and if a woman has a miscarriage at eight or nine weeks and they haven't had progesterone and the girl next door who went to a different clinic did, they'll blame that clinic for not continuing the progesterone even though that's not the cause but very often patients aren't convinced by evidence they're convinced by anecdote so that's progesterone and the importance is primarily in that first 14 days after the egg collection beyond that it's a waste of time and don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.